musicians are delicate people, very emotional. They're, you know, their, their music's really important to them as it should be. Um, and the work that you do should be important to you as well. And so if you can build that trust with somebody and somebody trusts you with their project, you know, the kind of expectation there is that you're going to do a good job on that and you're going to you know fulfill what you say that you can do. And as you get better at selling your services and stuff, selling yourself, you build those relationships, get repeat clients, et cetera, et cetera. You're listening to the GWNL podcast. Guys with no lives talking about audio. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of GWNL podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Ben. And I'm Bryant. And we're going to talk to you guys today about one of our favorite topics that we get to have with clients. It's called Good, Fast, and Cheap. Pick two. Welcome to audio. Thank you for coming. And that's our whole podcast for today. Thank you for coming. See you guys next week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so good, fast, and cheap. Pick two. Uh, Ben, why don't you explain this one? Because you're the one who told me that. <laughs> yeah, this one is uh, not just in the audio industry, but pretty much any service industry. This saying holds true, and um, it's kind of this universal law that everybody tries to break, but is unbreakable. And uh, so it's, it's, it's really simple because there's three things, good, fast, cheap, and you can only do two at a time. So if it's good and fast, it's not going to be cheap. It's going to be expensive. If it's fast and cheap, it will not be good. If it's good and cheap, then it'll take forever. It's not going to be fast. And so <clears throat> that's kind of this universal thing. And, and everybody tries to like circumvent it and get around it and be like, oh, I want something really good and really fast, and I don't want to pay any money for it. And uh, the universal part of it is that there's no way for them to just like, like they think, oh, well, it's, I got this great deal because it's good. It was good and fast and I didn't pay any money for it. And it's like, that's great. But guess what? You just totally screwed over the person that, that was doing the work. So somebody gets screwed um, if you break the rule if you break that if you try to break oh, it yeah so it's kind someone of gets broken if you break that rule <clears throat> yeah yeah so yep. part of that comes from not properly setting expectations with your clientele which is kind of our first point tonight managing and setting client expectations so brian i think you've had some great experiences with dealing with that kind of a thing what's your take on that oh, like yeah. managing and setting client expectations um as far as i go is like uh, when you're starting out, you don't always know how to do that. And it's kind of learning how to navigate relationships. Um, cause that's, that's essentially what you're doing. You're not just selling yourself. You're not just selling a service. You're also selling yourself and the relationship between you and whoever you're working with your clients. Um, and that's the biggest thing to get return, uh, return clients or return customers is to build that relationship. Um, <clears throat> And so part of that is like learning how to set expectations and basically at the beginning with the first like kind of um, with the first like time you meet somebody, you need to ask, ask qualifying questions. You need to find out kind of what their project is about. You need to find out what they're trying to accomplish. And in some cases, you know, you can bring up budget, but budget shouldn't necessarily be one of the biggest things that, you know, if, if a client if a client's like biggest issue is like budget and they're really like budget conscious, usually they're prop they're probably not going to be something that you want to work with. 
in my experience that I've had. But anyway, I do have a story about, you know, when, you know, setting expectations uh, as far as rates go and then having to change that later on. And luckily in this case, the client that I was working with was super understanding, really cool. Um, I, you know, had a, I was just starting out. It was one of my biggest, like first, like one of my like first big projects that I had. And it was one of my first paying projects. So I didn't really know how to, I didn't know how much time this project would take. I didn't really know how to value my time in this or how, how to like kind of give them a rate. So I just gave them a project rate, um, ended up doing like 500 bucks for the whole project. And halfway through this, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm way in over my head. This is not like even near enough money for the, the nature of this project. And so I ended up renegotiating with the client and ended up renegotiating for double that, which was still pretty, pretty low. I ended up, you know, I basically made about $5 an hour on that project. Um, and I, I was still, I still ended up being happy with that kind of rate because it was one of my first ones. I was still in school, but you know, I didn't initially set that expectation correctly at the beginning. So I had to go into that renegotiation process and explain you know why things were taking so long. We hadn't even finished with the tracking process yet. Um, and uh, ended up working out in my favor in that case. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you'll have people. I have a friend that does videography that did a project for somebody and initially quoted them for something. He went through the whole quali qualifying process, qualified them, delivered on what they said, and then they asked for a bunch of revisions. And he kind of let them walk all over him in that sense. And he said, hey, you guys didn't say you wanted this up front. Well, you guys didn't say you wanted this kind of a thing this is going to cost way more. And he's the person was like, well, you gave us this like initial price for this. So you're stuck on that kind of a thing and tried to weasel him in, in that and wouldn't, wouldn't budge. And he ended up, he ended up delivering anyway and uh, really destroyed that relationship because he got taken advantage of in that case. So, yeah, yeah there it is. <laughs> those are, gonna, those are tough. Yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah. Joe? Well, no, I, I, I think about it because like I had a very different experience because when I started managing clientele or dealing with clientele, I at least was working in a company where I had other engineers that could kind of guide me on that. And so I got a lot of great, like great learning from people who are very seasoned, jaded, bitter <laughs> audio engineers. No, no, uh, they're great guys. I, I miss I miss a lot of my old coworkers, but I learned a lot from that and I learned about how many people will screw you over in audio and i've learned that it's not always because they're trying to get one over on you there's obviously those people out there when you're dealing with clients that they're trying to get a deal right yeah so you just yeah. you tell them that you're <laughs> you yeah. just tell them you're giving them a deal and you're like oh yeah i, I knock like 10 percent off they don't know it's not like they like you could put that on their like invoice and they'd be like oh yeah 10 percent. they don't know your rates unless you have them posted so there's that but anyways um don't generally lie to your customers, but sometimes when people are trying to get one over on you, you just play the game, right? But I actually, um, I was lucky in that regard because not everybody else was. Not everybody else was working in a company at that phase in their career and like had 
had to deal with it on the front lines every day like I did. I always had people coming in. And I remember this one kid that was like coming in to rent a microphone. He's like, oh, yeah. So can I uh, rent an Avalon VT737 and a, a U87? I was like, yeah, it's going to cost this much. He's like, can I demo that? And I was like. The demo. He's like, can I demo it rent. for the weekend? And I was like, <laughs> that's so you rental. can record your. Yeah, like, that's what I was. Yep. Like. I'm like, that's a rental, and no, unless you're gonna pay us, it's no. And and at that point, I was like seasoned enough to kind of catch that. I mean, I still miss things, and like my coworkers had to like clear me up on some stuff. But that was like one of those instances where you start to pick up on that stuff, and you start to realize when people are taking advantage of you and respond to that. I've ran into a lot of instances where. Lately, I have a lot of clientele that, right, so let me let me scale back a second. Forget my current clientele. There are a lot of different amateur people who want to hire you for your services. And I think I might have brought it up in a prior podcast, but you have mm-hmm. people who don't know anything and they want the world and they think they know everything. Those are like the worst clients you're probably going to run into a lot of the time because they're the type of people who will just continue hammering you and hammering you and hammering you um, to get what they want regardless oh, of the good fast and cheap right they'll do they'll do like the oh man i think that the base is just like half a decibel too hot you need to turn the base down by like half a db oh and then the the hi-hat i needed to turn that up like 3.25 db and then can you like eq some of those high frequencies out it's kind of like a little harsh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that well and, and so you have what, those yeah, yeah go on sorry yeah. Well, sorry can i interject for a second because sure, yeah um, hit it and uh that's what like a, a like a lot of times in my experience with the i mean this kind of ties into the hourly versus project rate i've had those discussions where the person is like well how much you know is it per mix you know per song to mix you know and and i finally was i told the person i've had to tell people i'm like when i give you a per song mix rate i'm basically like trying to figure out in my head or on paper how many hours it's going to take me to do this mix for you. And then I'm you know, multiplying that amount of hours by my usual hourly rate. And that is the estimate. And either I mix it really quick and I get more money than, than I really, you know, should or something or than I would have, or it takes forever, really long. And then I get way less money than I should. So like the, the project rate is like designed to rip one of you off. Right. (laughs) And it's like, either I'm going to quote you too high and we're going to do it fast. And then I'll get all this extra money for not doing or, or, or it's going to take forever and you're going to get this great deal. So I'm like, why don't we just do the hourly rate and then you can get exactly what you pay for. I would even say, though, the hourly rate, depending on, and you've brought this up in the past, hourly rate for like lower skilled individuals who take longer to do things becomes more unfair to the purchaser in this instance, to your client. You have to kind of run that gambit of do I have enough experience with the, do I have enough skill in this scope with this project, like this recording or this mix 
whatever this session to be able to get it done within a reasonable amount of time that's why like the project rate kind of can be beneficial to newer people i think yeah. you've said this too yeah, where it's good to set people. like a because then you have the luxury of taking your own time to learn things and still delivering on a good product whereas if you're giving them an hourly rate now they're kind of paying for you to learn they're basically paying for you to go to school and in this instance, that's not necessarily fair to your client. And so you kind of run that gambit of, do I go with a project rate? Do I go with an hourly rate? And for new project, that's that's a hard one to kind of say. Because I agree, like, it just depends on how it's going. Yeah, and I, I, I really think it depends on on that because, you know, there, there comes a point where it's like, yeah, I could, you know, if I, I prefer a project rate as far as mixing goes, but when I'm tracking, I want to make sure I do things hourly because i know that it's not always just waiting on me in that case um sometimes you get unpracticed well unrehearsed musicians exactly want to do take after take after take and so oh my goodness in that case when i'm when i'm tracking i'm doing when i'm doing tracking or editing i'm doing an hourly rate um but when i come to when it comes to mixing and mastering i like to do a project rate because i feel like i I kind of have a general sense of how long it takes me to do most songs in general. And I know every, every song is unique and comes with their own problems and stuff, but generally it takes me, you know, X amount of time per mix and it's kind of averaged out. And so for me, it, I like a project rate for that reason. And, right. um, for the clients that I, I work with that will have worked with, they, they usually are pretty good on that. It is different when you're running in a live sound environment when it comes to the scope of the project, the job, and definitely. those environments. There are, like, I definitely know people who've worked day rates for shows, um, and they've also worked oh, yeah. hourly rates. It just depends on the company. It depends on who your client is that you're working for and what yeah. they can afford. I know that... Um, sorry, yeah, you want to say something? Well, right? I was going to say, there, there was a particular company that only paid a day rate that I used to work for. Mm-hmm. And there were some times that I would, you know, work an eight hour day and it was like, oh, that's awesome. But there's other times I'm getting paid the same and I'm working like a 17 or 18 hour day. <laughs> and it's like, I just, I just got paid 200 bucks for an 18 hour day. I'm right. basically making $10 an hour today. Yeah. And, and, and like you really, have to really realize sucked. that there are those kinds of conflicts. Like I definitely, I, I think the highest paying gig I did was, um, I think $2,100 for one day's worth of work, but it wasn't one day's worth of work. So even though I ended up getting paid like a pretty good amount for basically 16 hour day, which wasn't bad. I mean, $2,100 for 16 hour days, I'm still making pretty good money. I remember weeks, like a week or two of planning and preparation that goes into that. So in reality, I'm not just getting paid for that. You have to remember that as a sound engineer because you have to deal with the logistics of those things a lot of the times. And so you have to consider all that planning and preparation time as a part of that pay. So I kind of broke even ultimately, especially with the risk that I signed for on that gig. I don't regret it. They're good friends and I I left it well. It was just really stressful and I didn't sleep that night. I, I knew a lot was riding on me and, and it was one of those things that definitely like I, yeah. But, well, and that's what like I've done a lot of DJing and it's like if you look at the DJ rate that you get and like how many hours, it's like, whoa, you're getting a lot of hour, you know, a lot per hour. But then you have to think of, I mean, number one, there's the equipment and the experience, you know, yep. which is something we haven't even gotten into yet. Mm-hmm. But the, just just going that DJ that day is like making sure your equipment's ready beforehand, you know, loading up your car, 
driving to the venue, loading in, doing the event, loading out, driving home, you know, and so I'd have things where, especially when I worked for this other company and I'd like, they'd give me like, it was like, I can't remember what it was like 15% or 30% of what we was bringing in. So sometimes like 60 or 70 bucks. And I spend like a whole like Saturday starting at like two in the afternoon, get home at two in the evening. <laughs> 12 hours? <laughs> you know, no it's like way, 12 hours, man. 12 hours yeah. of time, uh. you know, and I get paid 60 bucks. And I'm like, that's $5 an hour, you know? Yeah. Um, And that was the rare occasion. Usually I got paid better than that. But there were some times where I just like, um, I have to factor all this in, you know, the, the travel time and stuff too. And, and it's like, I had times where you're just like stressed about the gig during the day. And so you don't really get anything done until it happens. Um, you know, and, and, but that's all, that's all stuff to factor into. And especially with live sound stuff where you may be sitting around for a while. Yeah, because you'll working. be like, hurry up to get the whole yeah, show set up yeah. and then you're waiting until the show starts and unless there's something going wrong, there's nothing for you to do. Like, yeah. I, yeah. But you need to be paid for that time that you're there. And whoever else is there working with you, you have to consider those things. And I'm not even, like, I'm sorry, but like there's even more to consider because you're just thinking about that job and what you're getting paid for for that job, but you need to think about your medical bills. Like if this is your full-time job, if you're not just doing this as a hobby, you have to think about things like bills, your 401k, like longer term planning for those things. This is this is why I took the current job that I'm in right now because it's got a lot more stability and a lot more benefits, but like... There are so many things you need to consider as you consider your job and the pay that you're getting paid for that gig, like especially in live sound. And I'm sorry to cut you off, Ben. I just I'm very passionate about this because I mean, that's part of the that's part of the challenge of being a freelance engineer as even even if you're working with a company, you have to calculate those things out because. I had an option to go back to my old company, which, for the record, any if any of my coworkers happen to turn on this, I miss you guys. You guys are great. I miss working with you guys. It was not because of you guys that I left. I, I love every single one of you at my old gig. I, I loved all of you. But I had to think about my future, and that was that was what ultimately led me to the job that I'm currently in because it's a, it's a lot more stable, especially as an audio engineer. Like every you yeah. know first and 15th every day every month i get the same paycheck and it goes up regularly i can it's a consistent gig i gosh it's it's been like as frustrating as some of the things have been for me <laughs> and yeah yeah and they, he laughs because i know yeah he's heard a lot about <laughs> it um as bad as that is and as frustrating as it is i can't argue with the consistency and the stability that this job has brought to me as an audio engineer it enabled me to keep working when almost all my other friends we're switching to other jobs or doing different things in audio or not even doing audio. So I, um, it's very important to know and to think about those things like calculating out like, okay, you're not going to calculate your health insurance off of every gig, but you need to know your premiums and you need to know how much you're paying per like quarter so that you can calculate out how much you need to make from your gigs. And you need to realize that most live sound people are going to work more during the summer than they are during the winter. I don't think this is mm-hmm. nearly the same battle you're going to have in studio work. It comes down to your marketing and other things. But there are seasons. Yeah. There are seasons when people do more studio work and stuff too so it's not just steady all all the time it's but there's more potential to keep it relatively consistent yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean part of that comes down to as far as the studio work goes you know um you know your your skill 
your marketing and your ability to sell your your services, which takes a lot of time and effort to be able to put into that because you're you're literally running a business. Well, e- even as a freelance live sound engineer, you are a business. Yeah, and so part yeah. of that is networking, marketing yourself in a way. Um, to get hired Managing for those jobs. relationships with other <laughs> yep. clients and it not all just comes flying down off to the handle. Relationships. I hate relationships with anyone. <laughs> network, network, except for my wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, I think we've yeah. we've got on some interesting side things, but one thing I wanted to bring up that actually Valid. it was funny because it actually happened today is along with that whole um, you know the project rate because you're early on in your career and you're going to spend more time on it so there's this whole debate that always happens between the the client that wants like free stuff or discounted stuff with students <laughs> and, i know who this is. no that's not this is some you don't oh, even not? know this guy that okay. came in today to the okay. school and talked to me about this project and i was just like you just want this to be done for free you know and 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 it was nice. I got the chance to tell him about my studio, and it's like my studio is the only professional studio in this county, and so you can come and and uh, do the stuff there. He's like, oh well, that's too expensive, you know. And uh, and I kind of worked out a, a a thing where the where he wasn't going to take advantage of the students, and it was going to be for their project. And there's both sides of it, you know. One side is the the person wanting to do this. You know, they, they use the student and they, they feel like they get taken advantage of if they have to pay them money and then they take way too much time or they don't do a really good job, you know, and then they feel like they're getting taken advantage of. And then on the other side, the person is trying to get all this free stuff and the student is just like slave laborer, you know, then it becomes problematic. And, and the funny thing is he'd actually had an experience with a student a year ago and his his idea of it and what I'd heard from the student... <laughs> were two different perspectives and so interesting i was trying to say i'm like well yeah there's both sides and he was like no the student was like ripping me off and i'm like that's not quite what i heard from the other so it was kind of interesting conversation it would totally ties into this um and it, it really is like this balancing act especially when you're you're you know getting your ten thousand hours what is that that to master yeah, it's Malcolm yeah. Gladwell, 10,000 hours. And it's not just 10,000 hours of doing something. It's 10,000 focused hours. That's another big yeah. thing yeah. you got to remember. But well, yeah. C- kind of along those lines of what you've been talking about, Ben, is you know part of our job as like audio engineers and as businesses is to educate people on, you know, market, basically the market value. And a lot of people in, you know, those remote areas, you're kind of in a remote area, not really, but it's definitely yeah, remote. It's remote. Um, and like, you're, you're the only, you're the only recording studio in that, in that County. And I think you're the only recording studio in, in a couple of counties, couple, couple counties. Like, yeah. Four that. or five counties. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I don't, I don't know exactly what your rates are, but people there might think that your rates are expensive. But if you go up to you, if you go up further North where there's some more established studios, you find some studios that are running, you know, a hundred dollars an hour or a thousand, uh, you know, $1,200 for the day or, uh, you know, 80 to $95 an hour. I know that, uh, there was a, there was a particular studio that recently, when I, when I originally went to it, 
um, they were charging $85 an hour. And then he sent out a mass email to all of his clients just saying, Hey, I'm having a price increase this next year. I'll be charging, you know, this much. And he was at that point in his career where he could, he could keep, you know, he just had too many, too many clients. So to kind of to yeah. shave it's, down on his clients, he raises prices. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been and there. It's nice. It's nice. That's to- a nice <laughs> technique that like, and it's important to realize that too, like as you expand, it's not wrong to increase your prices. Likewise, it's here's another thing I learned and I, I've explained it to my wife cause she runs her own like teaching piano business. And we've talked about how you want to maintain relationships with people who are close. Like she works with people mm-hmm. who are close friends of hers that are close family friends of ours. And so she wants to give them a deal, but she still has to make money as a teacher. And so it's she's found kind of like a way of calculating it out where she's she does like prizes for her students and then you know if they do well they get a prize well because now she's doing it through like zoom she doesn't have to worry about giving them prizes so she knocks off some of the price for that she knows that she's teaching full lessons for three students but she has a fourth student that's a really young kid so she doesn't charge them full price and so she finds ways of like still getting value out of that contract because ultimately your goal as any kind of an audio engineer working freelance or in any kind of industry is so that both people benefit from this interaction. It's to prevent one person from getting taken advantage of, whether it's you as an engineer or them as a, it's not, we're going to try and prevent that person from receiving the best quality they can and get as much money out of it. That's not what we're getting at here. And I, I hope nobody takes it away that way, but it's that both people can have a beneficial agreement with this contract that you're creating as you discuss your prices. And Again, part of that is knowing yourself. Part of that is knowing the project. Part of that is understanding and being able to calculate out and see all of, like, foresee all of the things that are going to be associated, the difficulties of that job, that gig, that 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 session, whatever it is. Like, you know, if it's yeah, yeah sorry, jump, yeah, go yeah, on, it, we'll jump in. Sorry, I was going to say it's just like what I was saying with the yeah. the project rate to mix. You know, and like either. I'm going to mix it really quick and yeah. get a sweet deal and he's going to get taken advantage of or vice versa. So yeah, it's just, it's just figuring out that miracle of trade where both of you get something out of it. Like I get money and they get, you know, a good product, a good product. Good product. And we both feel like we got a good deal. Also, mm-hmm. it is not wrong to not do your best work if it's not always necessary and that's going to sound wrong to some people and some people might balk at that but i mean like you're saying some clients like think about it if some grandma is just recording something for her kid don't get me wrong don't screw that old lady over i'm not suggesting that but, but i don't think that's the same level of like pr- like you don't need to approach it the same way you would approach like recording led zeppelin i don't freaking know you know yeah, like it's the good versus good enough so right. one of the experiences i had on that i was doing some Latin music for an app. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted like these different kind of, you know, bachata, merengue, and salsa. And so I had to like figure out how to compose Latin different in those different Good styles, luck. you know? And yeah, it was, it was <laughs> Good a luck cool, learning an entire, oh man. Yeah, it was yeah. a fun project. Um, yeah. But like I, I was working on it and I had like gotten it and I was wanting to make sure I was on target. So I gave the guy this reference and I had like, you know, like this classical guitar it was like midi classical guitar in there and and i was gonna put a real classical guitar you know in there and the guy was like yeah this is awesome and i was like okay 
cool. Just there it is. <laughs> yep. So I just finished just it up it and go. I didn't change it to, you know, a cla- a real classical guitar. I just you use the MIDI classical guitar and I even had it I talked to a mentor at the time because I was younger in my career and I explained it and he's like if they think it's good, then it's good, you know, if they're happy with it. Yeah. And you don't have to feel like bad for not delivering the top top notch like to I me know. I'm like, yeah, I need to have you know, not MIDI sounding Everything is yeah, real. Yeah, Everything real. is recording. <laughs> and if it's not real, it has to sound really real, you know? But it yeah. was just an app, you know? And the MIDI acoustic guitar, MIDI classical guitar was plenty fine, you know? I yeah. I get that. And I mean, it was different for me when I didn't have this consistent gig because I could like, you know, as long as the client was happy, I didn't care. Like, I, that sounds really yep. bad. I didn't even care how it mixed or turned out with. And there were some times where even the client I couldn't make happy. You know, Brian, you, you were in one of those gigs with me. And goodness gracious, that was one of those days yep. where, oh my goodness. I that was, uh, that was a crazy day. That was the second time too. That was the second time uh, with that client. It was, it was... I feel like he hated me, but he just kept because of like the people that kept hiring both of us didn't know that we like didn't get along, but we just kept getting put into into shows together and he didn't like me. I could tell it was like the second time I had done that with him. Anyways, he wasn't he wasn't a bad guy. I I bear no ill will, but it was just sometimes you're stuck with a bad situation and there's nothing you can do about it. And you know what? You finish the gig. Yeah, that's true. Yep. We're gonna let Bryant talk. It just keeps going back and forth. <laughs> I let him talk a lot in I've, the beginning. I've, yeah, I've talked a little bit. <laughs> you had something um, you were gonna say, and I jumped in, and then Joe jumped in, and I jumped back in. So yeah, um, trying to remember it. It's gone. I guess it wasn't important. I think it. Was, I think it was another story that I had, but uh, it's okay. Not important. We have lots of stories, and I, man, well, I've only worked yeah. for seven years, and I have a lot of stories. Gosh like, dang. <laughs> my, my my main thing is. Oh, I was gonna talk about like a good client that I've had. I have this client that I've mixed. He does, um, he does, well, he he doesn't do it anymore. He's kind of like put his project on hold, but he, uh, does Cantonese rap. That's super Um, rad. Cool. And he, he kind of, he, like the first song that he ever did, he ended up going to like a really big studio, uh, and paid a lot of money and, you know, paid way more than what I charge. And, he like got a got like a good product that he liked, and then the second song that he did, he went to a different studio, didn't really like it that much, but paid just as much money. And anyway, he and I we were talking about you know what he was up to, and I told him my rates. He's like, "Oh man, that's awesome!" And then like, it was like the easiest client that I'd ever had. I mean, he he was like really well rehearsed, and he's not like. He's like, I don't know anything about music. Like, can you like coach me through this? Can you like help me sing this part? Cause I don't know how to sing. And I'm like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I like helped him like get through this particular part. That's why he mainly like does rap. Right. He's like, I, I can't sing, man. Um, Just throw the auto on, right? And then we talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that fixes everything. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, when I, when I gave him the first mix, he's like, oh man, this sounds really good. There's like, he's like, you did something here. What did you do here? I was like, oh, like I, I did like this cool thing where I took this like chord from your beat and I like, um, reversed it to kind of swell into, uh, this part to give more impact. He's like, dude, that is so freaking cool. Can you do this? Like for every chorus? I'm like, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. And that was like, that was like his only note was like, 
I really like that. Can you put that in every chorus? And I did that and then sent it to him and he's like, sweet. Yeah, there we go. And he like paid up front for it. Didn't have any hassle trying to get his payment up front. He's like, oh yeah, sure. Here. And then at yeah. like, since we did tracking, I was like, Hey, so you got to pay from pay me for the, like, you know, a deposit. It's, you know, you, you for what you're wanting to do, I'd imagine take about four hours. So you got to pay like 50% up front. He paid 50% up front and then paid the rest at the end of the session. And then was like, how much is it to mix? And I told him my rate and he, uh, paid that up, up front. And I was like, sweet, cool. There we go. And then I kind of talked to him about mastering a little bit and he was like, Oh, should I get that? And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do like a quick master for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was like so chill that I like, one of my one of my favorite clients, even though he knows nothing about music and was like okay. the least technical and like least skilled musician that I've worked with, well, musician, because um, he doesn't consider himself a musician huh. either. Um, it ended up being one of my favorite things I did, and it sounds pretty good, honestly. I think he did like some pretty good work with having some like no training. Yeah, some of those rappers are really good without you training. know necessarily tons of musical skill they have you know rhythmic and lyrical flow, skills yeah. and stuff that can it's come across being able really to pay nicely. attention i want to hit on one thing though that i think was super important that bryant like brought up it sort of brought up in what he was talking about with clients like just the fact that like you're not always going to have that kind of a golden client and that's not oh, because no, every yeah. client's bad like that just realize that and like you're going to have a lot of different clients and you have to make them all feel like a million bucks in their own right. And that's part of managing those relationships. And I'm not saying be fake with these people or lie to them because they'll sense that. People will sense that. Don't You can't yeah. fake this stuff. You have to be real with them, mm -hmm. but you don't have to be cruel. And I definitely fall into the camp of maybe being a little too honest to the point of cruelty to some people <laughs> most all the everyone but don't stress yourself out by like oh this guy has such good clients don't compare yourself to other people don't get lost in that game that's not going to help you as an engineer and that one that one client was like one like i've only i've only ever had that good of a client once yeah i and then one other thing because i know we're running out of time on this it is difficult today in today's environment because people have a lot more access to technology for recording. It is difficult for people who who don't work in industry positions already. So like I was lucky to work in a company early on in my career. Um, some people won't like uh, some people who are just doing their own like studio in their own backyard or whatever or in their own uh, you know bedroom. You're not necessarily going to know what your rates are going to be. And and you're not exactly going to have like an infrastructure to figure that out. Like, you know, you could talk to your buddy who like kind of does this for fun. This is a difficulty that a lot of people run into because in the past, a lot of people learned audio through like internships and like and like being in the studio with other people and watching as things happen. And you, you know, you kind of rise up through the ranks that doesn't happen so much anymore. And that's mm -hmm. where things are difficult. Like the prices that I had where I used to live are not the same prices in the, in the place that I'm at now. And they're not going to be the same prices if I go to another place, you know, like if I end up in Texas or New York, those pricing structures are going to be completely different and oh, yeah. both in studio live sound and all that other stuff. And so it's difficult. Cause if you start asking other companies, like how much they charge, they're going to be like, 
No, I'm not telling you how much I charge. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like, it, it's not trade secrets, but it's basically trade secrets and stuff. And you have to watch out for that and, and realize that it's difficult when you don't have that infrastructure to pull from, when you don't have like a professional company or someone who's been in this industry for a long time. Sorry, as I shake my desk to kind of get that information from and and just realize that you're just going to have to work with your best estimate and realize you're going to make some mistakes along the way and hopefully you know manage those relationships so that you don't lose out on clients good clients um bad clients we don't care about unless they pay you a lot of money in which case i'll care about them a little <laughs> uh maybe a little yeah maybe well and that's yeah, the, oh go ahead i was Brad. gonna say that oh. like the the biggest thing it comes back to what i said earlier is like Knowing your value and kind of where your skill set is valued at with your current skill set and how to sell that to, you know, potential clients. It's really about learning how to sell yourself and build those relationships with clients that um, and will be able to, you know, trust you with their project because musicians are delicate people, very emotional their you know their their music's really important to them as it should be um and the work that you do should be important to you as well and so if you can build that trust with somebody and somebody trusts you with their project you know the kind of expectation there is that you're going to do a good job on that and you're going to you know fulfill what you say that you can do and as you get better at selling your services and stuff selling yourself you build those relationships get repeat clients etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so my last words i really wanted to bring up um this the concept of respecting your client and and making them we've kind of hit on some of this where you you make them feel like like you're being really generous and uh so like for me what i do is you know i i I, like most of the stuff i do i do it rate you know hourly rate based but then i'm really like generous with the rate and i've been training my assistant here to run the studio for me and we talked about this stuff so i could get him to do the same kind of thing because it's worked really well for me um in the past like where people almost feel like you're being so generous that they'll they'll pay you extra money so like like on the hourly rate so let's say that we're doing a session and like it's a you know we're at the two hour mark and uh we go like 10 minutes over the two hour you know and i'm like okay let's just two hours you know and then, like, if anything goes wrong, like, if there's any technical difficulties, I'm always like, oh, yeah, well, it messed up, so let's cut a half an hour off of that total time. Fair. And so when I do that, and you almost, you know, do more than you should cut off, then, I mean, I've had people, like, give me tips and pay. Like, I'm like, it's only, it's it's $100, and then, you know, you look on the Venmo, and they sent you 120 or something. Um, so I have that happen all the time, which is a good thing. Um, there's kind of this technique that is an audio technique that it kind of applies to it. So when you're doing um, like ads, like commercials and stuff, and you know the, the voiceover is the most important thing. And if you try to put the music too loud, like to be up there with the voice, the producer will always like tell you to put the music down, you know? And they'll be, keep on making it push it down for lower and lower. But if you start with it really low, then they're like, turn the music up. So it's that same concept of like, I really would like the music to be here and I want my pay to be here. But if I like start low and they see the value of it, they're like, oh, this is really good music or this is really good service. 
I want to I want the music to be louder. I want the the service to I want to pay you more sort of thing. So I mean, there's this balancing act between, you know, obviously if you totally undercut yourself and ask for way too little, then people are like oh they don't really value their self and so they're not really worth anything. But if you try to if you make them feel like you're being generous and you respect, like like Brian like you said that they're what you know it's genuine like what they're doing is really precious to them. And you respect that, like you're like, oh, it's just some stupid song, and it's got to get it recorded, you know, get my money. That's how I yeah. am. I do fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, shut up and give me money. <laughs> respect, respect, and generosity go a long way with success. And realize yeah. that there are some people that you'll run into that don't reciprocate. That's just different yeah. people, different persuasions. <sighs> There's nothing wrong with that. Cool. Yeah. Well, is there any other? Yeah. Anything else from anybody else in the peanut gallery? I think no, that's good. We yeah. didn't really All talk right. too what? much about the good, fast, and cheap pick two, but I think everything else ties into that. I mean, I think yeah. it's... Yeah. It's, it's not like... I mean, it's a pretty simple concept that you don't have to beat, you know... No, and I mean, we kind of talked about all the aspects that surround that. I, I yeah. think the importance of that is understanding all of that other stuff so that no one gets screwed over and being able to like, it, I guess I guess making the title of this good, fast, and cheap pick too is kind of a little disin, um, dishonest in some regards because in reality, it's about learning your own work and, and how, to, how to manage that in today's climate and... I mean, yeah. not even today's climate, but just like in general, like understanding the principles behind those things and how to manage those relationships, how to how to manage business agreements and everything, and not yeah, hurt mainly, people. Mainly talked about like the more business side of things today, which I think yeah. is a good thing to to bring up. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, providing that, value is really yep a yeah. lot of it. So that both people yeah. feel like they've they've given and benefited from that exchange. Yeah, you want to come out with like a win-win situation. And, you and both if not, feel like you, you want. make sure that Think you win. win, win right? Don't don't let them win. Yeah. Always let you win if you have to. If they're not going to win, <laughs> then you win. You always win. Always take care of number one. Number one. I'm just kidding. Okay. With that being said, now that I've gone off my last rant of the evening. Mix good. Ready? Mix good. <laughs> mix, mix good. Mix, mix not good. bad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs>